The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. Welcome to Psych Up Live with your host, Dr. Suzanne Phillips. This is the show that brings you a psychological perspective on common and current life issues. Here is Dr. Suzanne Phillips. Hi, I'm Suzanne Phillips. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. On May 1st, 2023, the New York Times reported mental health-related visits to emergency rooms by children and teens had soared from 2011 to 2020. The sharpest increase was suicide-related visits, which increased fivefold. The National Ambulatory Medical Care Survey looked at the actual number of mental health-related ER visits and found that between 2011 and 2020, they rose from 4.8 to 7.5 million. Why is this happening? What can parents do? How can parents learn more about preventive strategies? Today, you're going to hear some answers from a true expert, Dr. Cheryl Green, author of the new book, Heal Your Daughter, How Lifestyle Psychiatry Can Save Her from Depression, Cutting, and Suicidal Thoughts. I want you to know that while Dr. Green's book exemplifies strategies in terms of teen girls, her perspective and the strategies offered are applicable to any teen. Dr. Cheryl Green is a lifestyle psychiatrist based in Southern California. She works part-time at the Loma Linda University School of Medicine and part-time in her own private practice based in the greater LA area. She has a bachelor's degree from Harvard, a PhD from Princeton, and an MD from the Stanford University School of Medicine. She is board certified in both psychiatry and child and adolescent psychiatry and lifestyle medicine. Her passion is inspiring others to achieve vibrant physical and mental health. Dr. Cheryl Green, it is my privilege to welcome you to Psych Up Live. Well, thank you so much, Suzanne. It's a pleasure to be here. So let's start by asking, Cheryl, what prompted you to write this book? Well, you know... uh, there is a crisis. You just mentioned the crisis. And, um, you know, the New York Times is not the only, um, you know, uh, paper reporting this. CDC just came out with a huge survey called the Youth Risk Behavior Survey. And the statistics there were even more frightening, actually. They said that within the past year, high school girls, 30% of them had had suicidal thoughts in the past one year. 24% of girls, which is basically a quarter of girls, had come up with a suicide plan in the past 12 months. Mm -hmm. And 13% of our teen girls had actually attempted suicide in the last year. Now, this is for 2021. So really recent. This just came out last month. So it really... um, should draw all of our, you know, attention, could, should catch all of our attention. You know, there is a crisis going on. So we in the mental health field, you know, knew about this earlier. Um, we saw this because we had to redouble our efforts. We had to open up units. We at Loma Linda, we had to replicate our whole outpatient program in a, in a nearby city just to, just to accommodate the numbers of kids coming in. So, yeah. So so do you think, in fact, it's hitting teen girls disproportionately higher than boys? Yeah, most definitely. And I don't think anyone understands exactly why that is, but the numbers are definitely greater. They definitely are. Uh, during the, the pandemic, for example, the ER visits for boys didn't increase significantly at all, but for girls, they really skyrocketed. Most of the increase over the past couple years has been girls, mm. and the, the rates for girls are higher than for boys. Is it the case that with teens, as with adults, although more women make a suicidal attempt, more men die by suicide? Is that consistent with teens? Well, that's a little bit, uh, you know, those are influenced, the adult numbers uh, are also influenced by things like the military, 
you know, and there is a great crisis in our among our mm-hmm. military, the men mm-hmm. fighting in the military. There's a huge suicide rate. I think it's like one every 45 minutes oh, uh, dies by suicide among our military veterans. So the adult statistics would be skewed. Presumably the high school kids haven't, you know, been involved in anything like that yet. But okay. Um, yeah. So, so tell us a little bit about, you say you use a traditional approach and lifestyle psychiatry. Tell us, what is lifestyle psychiatry? Yeah, well, lifestyle psychiatry is basically just, it, it's really simple. It's its the use of lifestyle, I, I, well, it's the use of evidence-based lifestyle therapies, you know, for kids that, that you know, where you're going for preventing, treating, and reversing mental disorders, and you're also going for promoting good mental health. So you're using... Um, these evidence-based lifestyle strategies, uh, and they, they're in like about six domains, you know, nutrition, detoxification, exercise, sleep, social and emotional connectedness, and stress reduction. Okay. So you, you imply in, in this very interesting book that you truly believe, and I'm, I'm with you on this one, that if a family gets behind improving the lifestyle of all its members, there is a better chance everyone is going to have a healthier mental state. Yeah, you know, that, that's been the big surprise over the past, you know, 10 years or so. Um, we found out, for example, something like eating disorders. You know, what is the best treatment for eating disorders? You know, <laughs> there have been movements throughout the decades in psychiatry of things like, you know, parentectomies, like, oh, get the parents out of there. Parents are horrible. Parents have no role. We have to protect the kids from the parents. But then, you know, this astonishing data that came out, you know, for something as simple as eating disorders, um, James Locke has done a lot of work in that area. He showed that the family-based treatment is like far and away better than any other treatment for something like eating disorders anyway. Eating disorders among teens, the family-based therapies. So family-based therapies are really making a comeback. And it's it's not just a trend, it's the scientific evidence supporting you know the, the efficacy of a family-based treatment. It's what we do in our outpatient programs at Loma Linda, you know, we have what's called the intensive outpatient programs. These are eight to 10 week programs where um, we meet after school three times a week, two hours with the kids, and then one hour is the parent component. And what we're trying to do is, is build out that parent support, increase understanding, normalize the behaviors of the teens, help the parents to understand what kind of things can they do and should they not do <laughs> to mm-hmm. help their kids. Right. You know. Are they meeting in group, Cheryl? Yeah. Yeah, oh, wow. absolutely. Because mm-hmm. then the yep. group Multi-family component. groups. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The group component adds to the feeling of less shame or more normalization of the parents are here also. And do they actually in, embrace the idea of that you describe in the book of whole plant foods and um, different eating approaches in, in that particular program? Well, this particular program, actually, uh, the program I'm speaking to at Loma Linda is actually the SHIELD. It's called SHIELD, and it's specifically for teens who cut, teens who are self-injuring, teens who, you know, self-injure in any number of ways. Uh, so the programs are specifically for that. And they the skills they use there are more or less an adaptation of um, something called um, DBT. And that's, that's a different form of therapy. That's dialectical behavioral therapy that's mm-hmm. adapted from the adult world. Uh, Loma Linda actually had Marsha Linehan come to Loma mm-hmm. Linda back in 2009 and help us build out uh, a program for teens that was based in those DBT skills, but adapted for, uh, for teens and their families. Now, of course, that said, there there is a big component of lifestyle built into DBT already. So mm-hmm. I would say, I would say, yes, uh, a certain component of that is lifestyle stuff, most certainly. 
What do you see in terms of a turnaround once they've gone through the program? Do you have return visitors or do you really see that this has an impact? Yeah, you know, we are studying that it has had a very positive impact. The initial grant was between 2009 and 2013. And the data that came out of there was that it was incredibly helpful. It was very helpful for kids. Um, mm. Yeah, off the top of my head, I can't quantify that, but it was a great success. And so we continued it and we adapted it away from the grant into a format that, you know, insurance covers and so forth. So. Yeah, we know from the performance so far that these family-based treatments do work for things like cutting depression in the teen world. Yeah. They, Let they me have. ask you what some of our parents who are listening are thinking. As the as the specialist in this, if I said to you, what would make my teen cut? I don't even understand it. Why would she do this? Right, right. It is unbelievable the numbers and the extent of the cutting. You're right. It, it's astonishing to people, you know, <laughs> who suddenly find that, you know, this is happening. It is, it is astonishing. I think, uh, you know, this is the big, the big hello, the big wake up uh, in my practice is for parents to understand, okay, boy, my kid is doing this. What does it mean? What does it mean and why? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, the reason can you know, the reason really depends on the girl, but you know there are some big, big things that have come up in the last couple of years. Certainly, well, we've seen this rise in um, we've seen really astronomical rise in depression in teens since about 2010 or so. That's what all the data are showing, uh, and there are a lot of factors going into that. You know. And in particular, the last couple of years with the pandemic lockdowns and so forth, which made everything worse, I mean, dramatically worse, to the extent that our ER at times has had like 12 girls there sitting there overnight waiting for an inpatient bed. I mean, it's it's gotten beyond belief. But um, I don't know. I mean, every girl is different, but there are some general trends. You know, there's definitely during the pandemic, I would say there was more social isolation because there was no school. There was more social media use, you know, displacing some real relationships, almost like addiction level social media use. There was more drug use among females. The um, CDC's, you know, the Youth Risk Behavior Survey I referred to a little bit earlier showed a real increase in drug use among females. It's mainly cannabis wax pen or nicotine uh, vaping. Mm -hmm. um, certainly many families suffered economically, uh, of course, you know, many teens lost, lost loved ones uh, during the pandemic. They lost their grandparents. I've seen that in family after family after family. Oh, yeah, my my grandparents are gone. So there's a big component of grief in the last couple of years as well. There's certainly more academic failure during the pandemic because, you know, it's harder to learn something like math, for example, over a little screen, harder to get your questions answered. Mm. I think also during the pandemic, there was more self-starvation, you know, uh, a lot of teens were home cooking, or I'm putting that in quotes, <laughs> cooking for themselves, which amounted to maybe, you know, junk food and snacks. Mm. They say, oh, I only eat one meal a day. The rest is snacks. Well, those snacks, those are junk food, you know, mm. by definition. Well, one of the things that in terms of the very act of cutting that I associate with it, and I wonder what you think, is there is a desperate problem about regulating whether, as you say, it's um, loneliness, grief, um, fear. So in some sort of attempt to be in control, what we would think of as self-mutilation becomes a kind of ritualistic attempt to regulate. I mean, some people have seen it as a preface to suicide, but very often that's not it. The, the years and years and years ago, I had a young girl who was a cutter, and it was more about a silent scream. Um, and, you know, as we worked to have her find the words, the cutting dropped out. But that's a very long process of therapy. I love the idea that you're working on um, with teens and the parents together, because then you, there's even dialogue, perhaps, I'm hoping or I'm assuming, with the girls about it. Yeah. Well, we know, actually, 
Cutting is for sure a trend. So some girls are cutting because their peers are cutting. It is for sure a trend. So some of that is going on. But at the root of most of what I see is actually trauma. Mm -hmm. And at the root of the root is often sexual trauma. So I hate to put it so bluntly, but, Mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe 90% of Mm -hmm. the girls that I see for cutting, about 90%, I would say, or more of that incident that occurred to them. Maybe they were young, maybe they were five years old, maybe they were six years old. And they're just, you know, at 11, 12, 13, they're saying to themselves, oh my God, now I know what that was. That was a terrible thing. What does that mean about me? Mm -hmm. Um, Who am I now? And a lot of girls are just newly encountering, they're having, you know, incidents at school that are untoward. Things are happening to them and they're blaming themselves and they're developing almost a self-hatred, a feeling of contamination. Like, ah, I did something unspeakable and I deserve to be punished or I hate myself or, you know, something of that level that maybe they can't even verbalize or wrap their minds around. They just know, ah, something has to be done. You know, I'm unspeakably awful. And wow. usually it's cutting. This is like the perfect, the perfect out. Antidote. Yeah. We, yeah. We, we're, it's such, so important what you're saying, but we're going to need to take a break. And I, I want all listeners to know we'll be coming right back. You've been listening to Psych Up Live. We're here with Dr. Cheryl Green. You could hear about her experience in terms of just her most recent example. She's the author of a wonderful new book, Heal Your Daughter, How Lifestyle Psychiatry Can Save Her from Depression, cutting, and suicidal thoughts. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips offers a psychological perspective on coping with common and current life issues. This show addresses topics as varied as marital stress, insomnia, depression, raising teens, campus violence, and building self-resilience. Listen in as Dr. Phillips and her guest experts share the latest in books, findings, and information that will inform and enhance your life journey. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Planning for college? Tune in to Getting In, a college coach conversation for tips, techniques, and insider perspectives. Hosted by Bright Horizons College Coach, a team of former admissions and financial aid officers, the show takes a deep dive on subjects such as choosing the best essay topic, negotiating merit aid, and navigating the common app. Listeners will learn what really goes into college acceptance decisions from the experts who used to make them. New episodes drop Thursdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. All who live face a time of passing. Is death the end? Or will souls enter an afterlife? Have you ever wondered about historical figures and what they would say if they were alive today? Psychics and authors Barry and Connie Strom will use their gift of spirit communication to answer questions and channel spirits concerning the hereafter. Tune in to Spirit Speak, exploring the afterlife with Barry and Connie Strom at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now, back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. We're speaking with Dr. Cheryl Green, and we're, we've just, we were speaking about the what seemed so 
strange for parents, but Dr. Green really helped us see the cutting as a desperate situation when girls start to realize that they may have been traumatized. They're facing things in school. It's a desperate symptom and certainly in need of being addressed. We were just talking a little bit during the break that one of the interesting things I found in the book um, was the importance of exercise. I think one of the things you wrote is of all non-pharmacologic treatments for depression, exercise has the most evident benefit and the largest effect size. So what can we say and how can we help our parents who would love to get their daughter off the couch, but they have no idea how to do this? Yes. And that becomes the real question, you know, when you can't get her out of her bed, let alone out of her room, (laughs) how do you get her exercising? Yeah, I always just say little, little tiny, everything starts with that relationship. You know, everything starts with opening up that relationship, you know, with the parents so that they can then begin to do tiny little steps to get you moving, literally in this case, in the case of exercise, <laughs> little tiny steps getting you in the in the right direction. So I would say, um, you know, first off, make sure that relationship is there. And what is a relationship? It's time, you know, time, you're spending time with your teen. And there is some degree of open and honest communication, some degree of joy, you know, you're trying to connect. Then, you know, <laughs> Once that's there, you can make recommendations like the lifestyle recommendations. And, you know, one great way, one really fantastic way is asking, asking your teen, well, what, you know, if you were, if you were to exercise, what would that be? What would that be? What would your preferences be? Would you want to walk? Would you want to swim? Would you want to run? Would you want to join a sport? You know, ask them what their preferences are or just start modeling one. Just start modeling one. Just start, wake up in the morning and go out for a run yourself. And, you know, hey, honey, you want to come with me? Something like that. Doing Mm -hmm. it together is fantastic. If there is a form of exercise you can do with your daughter, how great is that? Going on long walks together, that's wonderful. And the recommendation, of course, for teens is about 300 minutes a week. Turns out that's the, the real inflection point on the curve, you know, the where... There's the biggest bang for the good buck for teens around 300 minutes. So it's like an hour a day, five days a week, or, you know, any combination of minutes during a given week. It could even be in one day on the weekend, you know, go for it five hours, <laughs> hike in the woods. Well, Cheryl, I I was a runner who, because of some surgery, I'm waiting to go back to running. I walk all the time. So I get such a kick out of teenage girls. Someone has told them to walk the dog, which they're rolling their eyes about. They, But they're talking on the phone, okay, while they're walking. But nonetheless, and that's what something you even mentioned in the books, combining the walking with music, talking on the phone, being on a bike while you're watching a video. Um, being outside is a really good thing. So I see that probably someone has asked them to walk these pets and they're not too involved with the pet, but that doesn't matter because it's getting them outside. The other thing is sometimes if you're the chauffeur as the mom and she can bring her friend to aerobics, well, they don't have to talk to you, although we would try and pair as parents, we keep trying, but um, it makes it a little less focused on your own daughter because now her friend is also rolling her eyes at you. But so I think what you're saying, small steps become big steps, but it does become somewhat um, addictive being outside in beautiful weather walking. And even if it is that you're talking on your phone and hopefully maybe listening to music, it's at least a step. Yeah, absolutely. And for those who can do it, you know, who can exercise and who are motivated to do it, yeah, it's good to make it social. That steps it up a notch. And then taking it outside, you're right, that steps it up a 100 notches, really, because then you're getting, you know, if it's social and it's outside, you're getting the sunlight, you're getting a lot of other benefits as well. And you're right, it can become addictive. There's something we used to think of as it used to be called the runner's high, mm-hmm. but we now know that like that, they call it the persistence high now. Doing just about any form of exercise for 20 minutes really vigorously 
you get this, you hit this wall where you, um, you release a lot of endorphins. So it's like a natural, I hate to say high in the context of adolescence at all, but it is a safe, natural high um, that can become addictive in a healthy way, like a healthy addiction, <laughs> you know, maybe to displace other less healthy addictions, you know. Now, you know, side by side with that, one of the things you write a lot about, and again, this was in the New York Times science section today, insufficient sleep is one of the most pressing health risks in adolescence with consequences like impaired mood, attention, diminished impulse control. What and how do you help parents and teens with the sleep problem, Cheryl? Yeah, I, I totally agree with you about the importance of these two. You've highlighted the exercise and the sleep because, you know, exercise has this huge and potentially immediate a- impact, you know, 20 minutes and, you know, you're you're feeling differently. Sleep in the same way, a huge and immediate impact. You're right. And, um, you know, gosh, what can I say about that? You know, people, you know, kids will often try to sleep when the trying is the problem, like they're stressed out. Something's mm-hmm. going on in their lives. They're trying to sleep and the trying is almost the problem. So I like to say, you know, yeah, it's good to aim at getting a lot of sleep. You know, nine to nine, 10 hours when you're an adolescent is optimal. And certainly if you have a sleep debt, you can, ha- you can have even more than that. And it's still normal. You know, 12 hours can be normal if you've just come out of final exams and you're, you know, you're, you've got a big sleep debt accumulated. Um, so I say, you know, don't worry about sleep. Just do the things about it. Just just do the best things. And they found out the best thing to do about sleep, you know, because sleep hygiene is what we do for sleep. It's called sleep hygiene. Anybody can Google it. They're like these 20 things that pop up. Here's what you do to get a good night's sleep. It turns out, you know, the lifestyle uh, researchers tested those head to head. Turns out the most impactful one of any of those is actually getting 20 or 30 minutes of sunlight a day, especially uh, in that, you know, 10 to 2 uh, window, because if you're getting some good sunlight, it's it sets your circadian rhythms, circadian rhythm so that you know what's day, what's night, and you can go about uh, doing it a little bit better. Uh, you know, so that's that's the number one getting good sunlight daylight by day and then mm-hmm. not not almost as important not quite as important but almost as important as not getting the blue rays that morning the blue ray light not getting that at night so we know that um unless you've got a filter on your computer or a filter on your cell phone you're going to get a lot of blue light from that and if you're getting that blue light at night that's not good because we know that that abolishes your melatonin production. Mm-hmm. So that's the perfect recipe for not sleeping is avoiding the sun by day, <laughs> then using your devices at night without a filter, without the Erlen lenses, or they're called blue blocks lenses or Erlen lenses that block out the Blu-rays or the filters on your screen. So yeah, th- mm. those are some of the things that really help with sleep. I think there's an app now to cure a blue exposure that was mentioned in this article today. But I think um, even some sort of plan where you're going to see a show, see a show. But once you start the texting back and forth, that's very uh, rousing. And that's not going to, you know, lull you into sleep. But it's difficult. Some children really suffer with it. I think helping kids know Smoke and caffeine, all these things late at night are really not good. But I, I, I couldn't agree more that um, any opportunity to have your your teen be outside in some way. The other thing, um, some people say naps are not okay, but sometimes just a, an if, if a kid is getting up for an early sports or getting up just early for a job or whatever, Sometimes a nap between three and five, that's only 20 to 30 minutes, can revive them. But sleep is a definitely a problem for adolescents. Um, oh, yes. Yeah. And yeah. so just having the parent recognize it without blaming them, I think, you know, most parents, their heart goes out to them, but they don't quite know what to do. But I think some of your examples and your suggestions in the book are wonderful for that. Well, Let's- Yeah, one, one of them... Uh- 
I, I'm a fan of naps. That they found out about naps as long as it's not over 45 minutes and definitely not over an hour. Um, it can be okay. You know, it's not ideal. Ideal is consolidating your sleep at night. But they found that up to 45 minutes, you can still add hours to sleep. Whereas if it's over an hour, you're just taking it out of the nighttime hours. So, you know, it can be helpful to, to give little little cat naps. They call it strategic napping or, you know, little mm-hmm. cat naps. Those can be okay. Yeah. One, yeah. Of, one of the things parents could share is just this concept that one of the things that keeps kids up at night is the revving thoughts, the racing thoughts. <clears throat> and those racing thoughts, if that's what your teen's brain is doing, the racing thoughts like worry, 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 worry. I'm worried about my school. I'm worried about this friendship or that friendship, or I'm worried about who knows. It could be anything. Um, that means, you know, if you're worrying and you, you turn that worry level on sleep, that is the worst thing you can ever do. It's like, oh no. I can't sleep. I'm worried that I can't fall asleep. Oh, no, if I don't get sleep, I'll be tired tomorrow. I won't be able to. That's the worst way. So I do recommend letting your teen know, okay, if your thoughts are revving, think about something else. Don't think about the process of sleep itself. (laughs) That is the recipe for staying up all night. But engage the mental apparatus. Engage the mental apparatus deliberately. You know, if you can't sleep, engage it with something positive, something you love, something, you know, say you like novels, you know, start thinking about that novel whose plot you were just so interested in, or that historical movement you're interested in, or, you know, something positive, that novel you're going to write someday, or, you know, some ideal outcome, anything but, oh, no, I can't sleep and I'm racing around that, (laughs) you know. (laughs) Well, I like, also, you mentioned things like, if you're worried about something, get up, write it all down for tomorrow, yeah. and then go back to sleep. I liked your suggestion. Get up, maybe have a snack, read a, no- a little bit of a novel, go back to sleep, especially if you've been churning for 20 to 30 minutes. So there are lovely um, options. Um, they work for a lot of us. Um, but at least the kid knows that someone is thinking and there are options and there are strategies. It's like having you know a portfolio of strategies because to be exhausted in the morning is isn't good for anybody's mental health. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's the key. Um the very last thing in the world a teen wants to get is advice from a parent. It's almost like if a parent advises a teen, they're going to they're going to probably do the opposite <laughs> unless that uh is very interactional unless it's delivered in a in a really well-intended way. You can clearly see that parent is well-meaning. And also, if that parent is offering a lot of choices and a lot of leeway and wiggle room and making it clear that, you know, hey, this exists. If you want to go down this um, pathway of, of looking at these sleep hygiene practices, you know, the term to Google is actually sleep hygiene in quotes, just Google that, you know, a parent can say that to a kid and the, 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 the kid can sometimes just take off with that and mm-hmm. run with that and incorporate a lot of those and come out sleeping beautifully well. Mm. Okay, so now let's talk about the emotional issues and pain um, that is discussed in the chapter on emotions that is so important and powerful. How do we proceed well, let me ask you this. Do you do you happen to see parents and then continue to see the child alone and have the parents seen by someone else, Cheryl? Or do you see both parent and child if a girl was referred to you for suicidal thinking or cutting? Well, in the teen years, we always be sure to see, you know, the teen alone and first and foremost, you know, right. the teen alone and first and foremost. But certainly in the teen years, we still need the parents for their independent view as well from outside the kind of this 360 degree view and um you know we get their input and then we work with the teens based on that now in the big groups we do have parenting groups as part of it and the teens are right there hearing what you're telling the teen hearing what you're telling the parents and usually what we're telling the parents is you know here's a skill for today you know, this skill really helps, you know, for example, any one of these, you know, 
the whole food plant-based diet, for example, as an antidote to junk food uh, can really help you feel better, you know, and we teach them about that. Our little, little tiny lessons, and then the parents are on the same page as the kid with these skills. So it's kind of like a, a highlight on the kid, but we're also helping the parents so that they can kind of reinforce the messages at home and provide a venue where it's really easy for that teen to use the skill. Now, how about the situation that you mentioned in one of the first segments where a a kid is cutting, there's a history maybe of trauma or abuse that she's too frightened to share with the parents, uh, the mother, but she's sharing it with you. So in in that case, um, how are you handling the situation with the mother? Is the mother being seen by someone else in another group or are you just supporting the mother and seeing the teen? Well, um, you know, usually parents are aware of that abuse. Usually they're vaguely aware of it. And, you know, we always keep confidentiality. That's number one principle, confidentiality. But, you know, we do encourage uh, teens to teens and parents to develop a relationship where they can begin to talk about these things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, we go very slowly, tiny steps here, and only to the extent that the teen wants to self-reveal. And we always start with positive things first. Like, how can you build out the positive elements of that relationship first, you know, and then only after it's comfortable and joyous or closer, uh, sometimes can those negative things be discussed. But mm-hmm. often pe- parents can help a great deal. Like, oh my gosh, I had no idea this was happening. I'm going to go and talk to the school about their bullying policy. Or, mm-hmm. hey, honey, I didn't know you needed a lawyer. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. you know, you need okay. a lawyer. This okay. needs to go to, you know, um, right. that kind of thing. Suddenly the door opens and suddenly the cavalry arrives, yes, you know, it's nice. like teens don't realize, hey, this isn't a deep, dark secret that's my fault. No, this is like right. potentially, there's stuff here I can actually, my parents will be my heroes and they will mobilize support from the school, support even from the legal system if needed. Okay, you we're, we're going to have to break, we're going to have to take a, a stop, but I love us ending with the parents are the, uh, you know, the backup heroes here. And sometimes it's a big surprise um, for the kid to realize how involved and how important they're going to fight for them. You've been listening to Psych Up Live. We're here with Dr. Cheryl Green. She's the author of the new book, Heal Your Daughter, How Lifestyle Psychiatry Can Save Her from Depression, Cutting, and Suicidal Thoughts. Stay with us. We'll be right back with more. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Did you know that the quality of our daily lives is directly influenced by the design of our built environment? Our homes, our work, the way we move, and where we play are all shaped by the design of our cities. This thought-provoking new show from architect, urban designer, and educator, Carrie Pennebod, examines the complex forces that shape the making of our physical world. Lively conversations with leading experts in a variety of fields engage some of the greatest challenges facing our cities today, including climate change, affordable housing, embedded technologies, infrastructure design, architecture and the arts, urban policy, social mobility, and much, much more. Tune in every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time, so that together we can design a better world. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. 
Today, many doctors prescribe basic pharmaceuticals to their patients who aren't feeling well or have various aches or pains. Is this the right course of action for all patients? We don't think so. Find out about healthy, natural ways to help you feel your best by tuning in to the CBD Ed Show with host Ed Cheney. Ed and his guests will explain full-spectrum CBD, using the whole hemp plant for good health and answer all of your questions about CBD and natural treatment in general. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now, back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. We're speaking with Dr. Cheryl Green, author of Heal Your Daughter, How Lifestyle Psychiatry Can Save Her from Depression, Cutting, and Suicidal Thoughts. And we ended the last segment talking about sometimes kids don't know that when they are in the dark alone because of bullying, because of abuse from someone that maybe the parents don't know about, their parents are right there. So, you know, we we want to talk in this segment about how parents, without coming on too strong, can let that be known. And the other thing, Cheryl, that I have found is sometimes startling to a teen. Sometimes a teen has asked if they could have a session with the parent here. And it's the parent's acceptance of them for who they are. And that, it seems to me, I want to know your opinion, is so key to mental health in teens. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one of the skills we always teach is to teach um, <clears throat> the skill of validation. It's called validation, where you really see the person, whether it's the parent validating the kid, the kid validating the parent, you really see them in a non-judgmental way and, it, you know, accept and accept what's there. You mm-hmm. see your kid, you accept what's there. Um, it's called validation. You know, I validate your existence as an independent person who makes decisions, who's trying to be the best she can be, all of that kind of stuff. You know, I see you and I validate your efforts. You know, I may not agree with everything you think or, or say or do, but I validate you as a person and I approve of you. And I fundamentally, I'm just so glad you exist. I'm so <laughs> glad you're in my life. That kind of thing. I once had a a teenage boy ask if his father could come to a session. And in the session, he disclosed to the father that he was gay. And the father said, I know that. And he said, you know that? And he goes, I've always known that. I know that. I love you. Yes, I know that. And the the kid was crying. The father was crying. But it sometimes... The father had never said anything. Well, he didn't have an entree to to say it, but the opportunity, whether it's in a therapist's office or sometimes, as you're suggesting, just one night saying, you know, by the way, whatever you want to do, whoever you feel you are, I'm with you. Dad and I are with you or whatever it is, because I just don't think when kids feel different where they feel they're not living up to the parents' standards, they're not the great athlete, they're not the great editor of the school paper. They fear and feel that they have dropped, you know, their status in the eyes of their parents. And that's a that's a rough place to be in. Yeah, that can be horrifying. But you know, I agree with you. You know, in the the vast majority of the parents I see, of course, they're kind of self-selecting because the parents I see are parents who are willing to bring their kid mm-hmm. into right. a program to begin with. So there's a self-selection process there. I'm not saying that all parents are, you know, fun and roses and all of that. Uh, many parents are the ones who've traumatized their kid in the beginning. They're, that is true. Now, those aren't the parents I'm trying to reach. <laughs> the parents I'm trying to reach are the parents who say, wow, my child is in trouble. I want to help. I just don't know how, but I'm here. I'm here. I want to help. I don't want to 
put my foot in my mouth. I don't want to, you know, address things I shouldn't be addressing. Give me some pointers here. And so the point is, you know, providing these pointers. And, you know, one of them is just that, the acceptance of what's there, also normalizing what the kid is so afraid of, that deep, dark secret, you know, it's probably normal. <laughs> it's probably epidemic. You know, the suicidal thoughts, the feelings about academic failure. So many kids. I mean, I'm just happy if my kids that I see in my program, I'm happy that, that they're passing. I mean, mm-hmm. if they're not flunking out of school outright, I'm delighted because they are struggling with depression. They are struggling with anxiety. And when you're thinking about suicide as, you know, what is it? Uh, 30% of teen girls have been thinking about suicide. Mm-hmm. When you're in that boat, how hard is this to study? And of what value is it if you get an A, but you want to die? You know, so I think really just to focus on the basics. You are my child. I accept you. I know you're going through a lot. And I know that like a third of your uh, of your peers are going through the same thing. Maybe not for the same reasons. But they're going for, through the whole um, mental health situation that our teens are in now. So, so we want parents. It's funny. I, I want any parent in the group because sometimes, Cheryl, it's a parent who will confront another parent and say, I don't understand why you would put that kind of pressure on your kid. And that parent might say, well, they put pressure on me when I grew up and now I'm a success. And the other parent might say, Maybe your kid will be a success and not be unhappy the way you said you were. So that it's sometimes the parent that you least think was going to be great in the group is great in the group. You just don't, you just don't know. But the whole idea of the acceptance that you're talking about. And in terms of the suicide, what what would you say? I think all parents would want to know what are some of the warning signs that your son or daughter might be suicidal? That is super important because, you know. A lot of the behaviors you think, oh, well, that's just normal teen behavior. You're, you're, it's a good point. What is like normal teen behavior, which is a little different, admittedly, from what has been up to that point, and then really dangerous teen behavior. So I would say there are some really warning signs. You know, isolating, isolating in her room or their room, we can talk about teens generally, isolating in the bedroom, literally not coming out except to eat. That is a warning sign. Not getting out of bed, even for school, that's a warning sign. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the duvet over the head sign. It's like, oh, I, I can't get out of bed. Cutting, obviously cutting is a huge sign. Cutting is a um, a sign that something's going on for sure. Or then, you know, uh, really dangerous things, you know, uh, hoarding, you know, for those on medications, hoarding their medications, mm-hmm. new, you know, starting to use substances, that's a warning sign. Uh, this, we say it's often self-medication for something, you know, the, the using of substances. School failure is a, is a sign. Uh, texting friends about suicide. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes if your kid looks like they're going uh, spiraling out in some way, I do encourage parents to check the phone if if they're texting their friends about suicide that is super super red flag to take them to get some professional help for sure like to the er at that point mm-hmm. or if you find you know on the browser you know the history of the, the computer researching ways to commit suicide again another complete red flag time to take your teen to the emergency room or if you can't or if they won't go with you you can actually call 911, make sure a police officer will escort them so that they can get really the professional help they need if they're before they do something crazy. That's what that inpatient unit for teens is for. The, the, the whole benefit of it is that locked door. <laughs> when they're in there, they cannot hurt themselves until the impulse passes. Um, it, you know, they need to be keep sa- kept safe when they're feeling suicidal and um, desperate. You know, we need to intervene at that point. Those are such important signs. The the only one I would add is when there's a sudden change in behavior. In one case, when a mom heard that her son in college had um, quit the team 
dropped out of his classes. She just got in her car. That was it. She knew she knew those were changes that were too much too dangerous. He would never do that, she knew, unless he was very desperate. So Absolutely. I love your example. Your examples, though, are so valid and so important in terms of parents. I think one of the gifts that you've given us today, and your book is part of the gift, is you're letting us know that as family, as parents, we're the first line of defense, as I mean, I'm quoting you, against anxiety, loneliness, the need for medication, and the need, if necessary, for a higher level of care. No one knows but the parents if they stay validating and attuned yeah absolutely absolutely the parents are not the enemy or if they find that their child perceives them as the enemy that's a sign there's a lot of work to be done Mm -hmm. and you know that could be a sign to get professional help like joining one of these um they call them intensive outpatient programs whether these groups eight to ten weeks they work really hard in those groups to foster that bond, to build up that bond between the parent and kid, because really that's where the help is. Psychiatrists come and go. Your therapist may move out of state, uh, you know, uh, suddenly, but your parents presumably are there for your life. They're your bed bedrock. Um, and hopefully that relationship can be strengthened so that they can give the kids what they need to sur- not only survive, but thrive, in this kind of new weird world we live in, this new abnormal, as they're calling it. Yeah, uh, it's, a, it's, it's a perfect take-home message, Cheryl. Let me ask you now, as we're heading toward the end, how can our listeners find your book? And there's also a workbook that's really important. Tell us how we can access those two resources. Oh, well, thank you, Suzanne. Yeah, the book is called Heal Your Daughter. Uh, and uh, it's on it's everywhere it's on um, it's on Amazon it's on Barnes and Noble it's on uh, book baby website Uh, I think it's at all the major outlets Um, so certainly certainly that's there and then the heal your daughter workbook is also available at the same uh, same outlets now the workbook the heal your daughter is aimed at parents the workbook is something for the parent and kid to work on together right so yeah they're exercises uh many of them from the first book but um additional ones particularly for the cutting uh, itself perfect cheryl thank you so much for this book and for coming on you've really underscored the importance of parents but you've also given us some real resources to draw upon in helping our teens thank you so much for your work Well, thank you, Suzanne. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. Okay. Um, I want to thank my listeners. Remember, you can hear this and any prior show as a podcast on my host site, my website, on the podcast app of your iPhone. You could tell Alexa, let me hear Psych Up Live, and you'll hear Cheryl today. This will be live um, by 6 p.m. tonight, so you should be able to hear it. Um, Remember, next week, be listening and stay safe. Thank you for tuning in to Psych Up Live. Please join Dr. Suzanne Phillips for another edition of our programming next Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until then, be well and be listening.